Yeah, thank you for tuning in. It's more than a podcast. Inexhaustible episodes, God's vast. Glorify him as we broadcast the Lord's grace and God's wrath. More serious than a bomb blast. Full disclosure inside the title. No surprises, simply put, guys with Bibles, yeah. Just some regular reborn reformed cats If it's in the Bible, then they're gonna speak on that Cause the scripture is the final word okay. Competing ideas, quite absurd Of this you can be quite assured yeah. We were lost in the darkness of night immersed in sin But then the, the light, light emerged. emerged It was the Son of God, divine Christ that shines light The word in Genesis that assigned life in hindsight And was revealed through the prophets and apostles We magnify and expound on the power of the gospel Yeah, yeah Hey everybody, this is Guys with Bibles. I'm Sean. And I'm Lee. And we're doing a kind kind of segmented, maybe. Maybe a little bit. I don't know. We're we're it's all focused on the Lord's Supper tonight. So we're going Woo! to read uh, a prayer or devotion or whatever you want to call it from the Valley of Vision about the Lord's Supper, and then we're just gonna kinda spitball about the Lord's Supper for a little bit, so. Like it. You want me to, do you want me to read it, or do you want to read it from the Valley of Vision? It's a, it's up to you, host. You can do what you want. <laughs> this is my podcast! <laughs> Mine! It reminds me, it reminds me of a, uh, of a Homestar Runner uh, inside joke thing. Uh, and then one, it's a fake commercial, and the mascot for the, uh, the company that the commercial is for, uh, breaks in and interrupts the announcer voice and he's like uh no you don't wendell this is my barbecue <laughs> <laughs> um have you ever seen the movie hot rod i had i never have okay i never have i don't really re- i mean it's kind of an awful movie i don't really recommend it um <laughs> there it, i mean it's funny it's really stupid but it's funny but there's just one part where this guy they get into a fight and he takes his, this guy's hat and he's like, this is my hat now. Totally my hat. <laughs> and yeah, I just make everything sound like that. <laughs> and I apologize if there's this weird wind tunnel sound behind me or on my track. Hopefully you can edit that out a little bit. My pellet stove, I turned it off before we recorded, but it's still running the fan. So hopefully it doesn't pick it up too much. I'll be able to take it out when you're not talking. That's not a hint or anything. Yeah, <laughs> so so don't talk a lot, Sean. <laughs> Just shut up. Okay. You never have that problem. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> All right. So this is uh, the Lord's Supper from the Valley of Vision. And in the leather version, the it's page 360. God of all good. I bless thee for the means of grace. Teach me to see in them thy loving purposes and the joy and strength of my soul. Thou hast prepared for me a feast, and though I am unworthy to sit down as guest, I wholly rest on the merits of Jesus and hide myself beneath his righteousness. When I hear his tender invitation and see his wondrous grace, I cannot hesitate, 
but must come to thee in love. By thy spirit enliven my faith rightly to discern and spiritually to apprehend the Savior. While I gaze upon the emblems of my Savior's death, may I ponder why he died and hear him say, I gave my life to purchase yours, presented myself an offering to expiate your sin, shed my blood to blot out your guilt, opened my side to make you clean, endured your curses to set you free, bore your condemnation to satisfy divine justice. Oh, may I rightly grasp the breadth and length of this design. Draw near, obey, extend the hand, take the bread, receive the cup, eat and drink, testify before all men that I do for myself gladly in faith, reverence and love, receive my Lord to be my life, strength, nourishment, joy, delight. In the supper I remember his eternal love, boundless grace, infinite compassion, agony, cross, redemption, and receive assurance of pardon, adoption, life, glory. As the outward elements nourish my body, so may thy indwelling spirit invigorate my soul until that day when I hunger and thirst no more and sit with Jesus at his heavenly feast. Good stuff, right? Wow. Every time I read a, a Valley of Vision prayer, I always end up just saying, wow. Yeah. And did I didn't know this. I was reading the introduction to the Valley of Vision the other day. I don't know why I was reading the introduction. But um, the prayers are taken from the works of Thomas Shepard, Thomas Watson, Richard Baxter, John Bunyan, Isaac Watts, William Williams. That's a heck of a name. Philip, Billy Williams. <laughs> Philip Doddridge, William Romaine, David Brainerd, Augustus Toplady. Oh, the uh, the hymnist. Yeah. Uh, Christmas Evans, William J., Henry Law, and the Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Whoa! So, which makes... Perfect sense because Charles Spurgeon had a way with words and it was a beautiful writer. So well, and and just like John Knox, uh, Charles Spurgeon himself was a Puritan. Yeah, apparently, I don't really think of Spurgeon as a Puritan, but <laughs> but yeah, like yeah, the Jeremy son Lee, of the Puritans. <laughs> yeah, Jeremy Lee, take that. Not only is John Knox a Puritan, but so is Charles Spurgeon. <laughs> ha. <laughs> I love the Spurge, though. He's great. Oh, he is great. So I'm, uh, I'm glad he was a Baptist. Oh, yeah. He was very Baptist. The dude would preach so with Baptist. a cigar in his mouth. like So metal. <laughs> of course. Almost um, as metal as Bunyan. It was a lot more socially acceptable. To, everybody smoked back then. So Yeah, that's true. Um, so the Lord's Supper, Lee. My my first hot take uh on this prayer is uh has to do with and I don't know I don't know when this happened and maybe this is something we'll we'll end up talking about but it, it seems like when churches observe the Lord's Supper it's always super like somber. It's somber and quiet and kind of sad. Yeah. And I don't get any of that out of this prayer. This is like a a praise. Yeah, this prayer. is like a party. Yeah, because like, he's talking all about getting 
refreshed and being reminded of Jesus' death and not not focusing on the pain of his death and the fact of his body being broken and the bleeding and the the whips and the nails, but it's it's all about the theological aspect of his death and resurrection, giving his life to purchase ours, uh, giving himself as an offering to expiate our sin. Yeah, uh, shedding his blood to blot out your guilt. You know, it was the yeah. whole thing is is about uh, his gift to his people. Yeah, it's every every instance that is describing a certain part of Christ's passion is is uh, it has a purpose and it it mm-hmm. makes it makes note of those purpose purposes. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's a it's a great. Um, one of the the sections that gets me the most is where it says, In the supper I remember his eternal love, boundless grace, infinite compassion, agony, cross, redemption, and receive assurance of pardon, adoption, life, glory. Because, you know, we focus on the agony part a lot, and we focus on our, uh, on our repentance and sinfulness, which is a good thing to remember it all the time. But I think sometimes... When we take the supper, we're not really cognizant of the fact that, yes, it, but Jesus is risen, and he's given us all the grace so that we can sit here and partake in this ordinance uh, and have joy about it. Right. I, sometimes I just think we miss the joy. So uh, um, I, the, what I wanted to do was kind of talk about maybe like three different uh, views of the Lord's Supper or um, the Eucharist, as some churches call it, and uh, celebrate <laughs> Thanksgiving, which is coming <laughs> up soon. Uh, but it is; it's true. I have my I already have my Thanksgiving Day sweatpants laid out. I'm ready to go. <laughs> I gotta. I need pants that stretch with me, you know, for that day. So yeah, no, I get that <laughs> for sure. But, um, and I just wanted to talk about, you know, some of the differences between these views and obviously we're probably going to end with the view we take and why, of course we are. why we believe that our view is correct. Obviously it's our view because we believe it's right. Mm-hmm. So, right. um, the first view I wanted to talk about was the Roman Catholic view and also the it's also the Eastern Orthodox view. So uh, for the most part, I think there might be a little bit of a difference. But uh, the term... Yeah, the Orthodox always have a little different spin on yeah, everything. Yeah, they don't want to be just like Catholics. <laughs> <laughs> Even though they kind of are, yeah. but beards and wives. <laughs> they just don't have a pope. That, yeah, that's true. They don't have... They have spiritual fathers. They have patriarchs. And patri- uh, yeah. And I think I think they have even more icons than the Catholics do. Yeah, the Catholics don't really. The Catholics use statues and figures mm-hmm. more than icons. I don't think that icons are like banned in the Catholic Church, um, but they're just not in vogue. But it's not like it's a cultural thing. I think could be. I think the yeah. I, the iconography is more of an Eastern type thing so not a uh not a uh, european right roman kind of thing could be but um the the catholic view is uh that 
Well, first of all, every Sunday mass, and even at the daily masses at some churches, they have daily masses, uh, the bigger ones. At every mass, communion is celebrated. And it is the center of the worship service, not the word. The word is read, and there is a short homily about the word, but that is not the center point of the the, the mass. It's, it's the Holy Communion. And at Holy Communion, they believe that upon the prayers of the priest through the prayers of the priest, the bread is transformed physically, like literally into the flesh of Christ. And that the wine is transformed literally into the blood of Christ. Although it looks like bread and it looks like wine, it is not. Foolish mortals. How could you mistake the the body and blood of Christ for mere bread and wine? And you fool. I, I believe this for a very long time. It was very important to me. And as I got older and I started studying scripture more on my own, I realized that none of that is in scripture. Um, the closest you could get is when Jesus says at the Last Supper, you know, take this and eat. This is my body given for you. Right. You know, and you could, you, from that, I guess, if you read it a certain way, you could take, take it to mean that Christ is actually physically present as in his flesh is now bread kind of thing. But, or at least it was at that moment at the first Lord's Supper. Yeah. But. I don't, I don't know. But I don't take it that way either. I don't... I had a hard time with that after I really started studying scripture. That was one of the reasons why I left the church, but... Was that where it really started to unravel for you? Yeah, a little bit. Of course, once you, once you start realizing that the whole central aspect of your worship as a Catholic is flawed and not driven yeah. by scripture, then it, everything else kind of falls apart around it. Yeah. And that term that Catholics use, uh, the theological term that they use, is transubstantiation for when the bread and wine are transformed into the uh, body Body and and blood blood. of Christ. And that happens at the moment of consecration from the... When the the priest says the magic words? Yeah, and, and I remember as a kid... Like, I'd be like, why the heck is there a bell? Like, where's this bell? Mm. But Mm -hmm. right after he consecrates the bread, one of the the altar servers will ding a little bell. Not every church does. Not every Catholic church does this, but mine did. Will ding a little bell to let everybody know that this is now Jesus. So, and, and <laughs> yeah, it's like a little alarm. It's the Jesus alarm. Look out, guys. Jesus is in the room now. But, um, yeah. As so. if he wasn't there, as if he wasn't present before. 
Yeah. But and the other the other thing That's is that gross. Catholic doctrine by that allows for some adulterous uh, things to go on because if you believe that this wafer is now part of Christ or Holy Christ, you they they you know set up Eucharistic adoration so they have a wafer that's consecrated it's Jesus and then they put it in this very ornate beautiful uh, I don't even know what it is. It's like a little stand and it's usually resembles a sun or it has like holy halo rays coming off of it. And then you can see the host inside of this glow ray. Yes. Inside of this (laughs) clear glass disc. So you can see the host and it has all this. It's beautiful. It's very pretty. And it's usually made of gold or gold plated and they sit it on the altar and then you can go in the church and just kneel and pray before the presence, the real true presence of Christ is what they would say. Ugh. So you're praying to a wafer Ugh. and, uh, it, I don't know. It, it, well, you could either and then pray they paraded to a wafer or you could, or yeah. you could pray to the statue of a dead lady. Yeah. And they, they paraded around and, uh, it's, it's strange. Um, Sounds pagan. But, um, and that was one of the things that Luther had an issue with. This is a good segue into the next yeah. view. Um, that was one of the things that Luther had a lot of issues with communion. But he he did not like the fact that they did Eucharistic adoration, that they paraded it around and, and worshipped it like... Because scripture simply does not say you do that. So no. uh, what Luther adopted, and a lot of people will say that Lutherans take on the idea of consubstantiation. But I just talked to our buddy Chad Bird earlier tonight. Chad Bird. And got the lowdown to make sure I wasn't misrepresenting our brothers in Christ. So... What Lutherans believe, Lutherans are actually pretty unique in their beliefs. Um, not really too many other Christians believe exactly. They kind of stand alone. Yeah, they yeah. do. And I, I applaud. Here they them for stand. That. They can do no other. <laughs> <laughs> There's this pair of socks I want. It has the Luther rose on it, and underneath it, it says "Here I stand." Oh, like on the ankle part. I, I want it really bad. <laughs> that would be that would be so cool. But uh. Luther did not completely dismiss the idea that Christ, Christ's presence wasn't in the bread and wine. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did not ever use a term like transubstantiation or consubstantiation. If you look at Luther's small or large catechism, what he writes is something, depending on your translation, it'll either say, Christ is present in, with, and under, or just in and under the bread and wine. So, somehow, Christ Christ is present, but it still is just bread and wine. But somehow, Christ is present there, 
It's like he's kind of his presence is kind of hovering around it. Yeah, I don't. So I'm, by eating it, you also are are taking in. And it, his, yeah, it's a mean. Substance. It's a means of grace in the Lutheran Church. It's a sacrament. Um. So. I think Luther was on the right track. But he, but it is, for somebody that doesn't study it and whatnot, it's pretty confusing to talk about the difference between the Catholic Church and the and the the Lutheran Church and there's a lot of similarities but do you know uh, what view has next to no similarities to that view the reformed view <laughs> oh well yeah I was thinking <laughs> the Zwinglian I, view yeah I was thinking of the Zwinglian view yeah the I see memorial view see Zwingli, he's annoying to me. I don't like him. He's kind of annoying. Um, he's my least favorite reformer. He probably did some good stuff, but the the only thing good that came came from him was that uh, sausage supper. <laughs> <laughs> we did a show on that a long time ago, didn't we? Yeah, we did. It was last. Uh, it was last Lent Lenten season. Yeah, yeah. Was it on Ash Wednesday? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, I think it was. But We're yeah, rebels. the the. So we're gonna do four views now because now I, I, I think to... I think this 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 view probably isn't like an honorable mention. Yeah. Um, because even though it's widespread, it's um, it's it, I think it, it's ev- maybe not every bit as incorrect as the Catholic view, but it's um, I think it has very little validity. Yeah. It- did Zwingli he downplayed the Lord's Supper a lot? I think for the fact that it was considered you know a Catholic thing. Yeah, it was it was kind of part of that the the radical reformation where they were just they were going to decatholicize um, everything. So because the Lord's Supper meant so much in Catholicism and still does, they were going to downplay it to where it meant next to nothing. We're basically to to people who hold this view, and there really are many today that hold this view. Um, there's no concept of the means of grace really anywhere in right. in a lot of evangelical churches, period. But especially of the Lord's Supper, um, some will even openly call it a ritual, the or, not not an ordinance, not a sacrament. It's just a ritual. It's something you can do, and it's just you know something we do that that doesn't really matter all that much, and so it doesn't have to be done very often. So this comes out practically in in the churches that. You know, maybe do communion uh, once a quarter, or every fifth Sunday, or, yeah, or something heard, like that. Or I've, at bapti- like when people get baptized, then we do the Lord's Supper. Yeah, and and you you're you're missing you're missing the commandment of of Christ. Do this in remembrance of me. Yeah. Don't not do it. Right. It. Yeah, I think. And the fact that he down that Zwingli downplayed the Lord's Supper so much and turned it, and well, he didn't turn it into anything. It is what it is. But he he downplayed it so much that he spoke of it as just an empty thing, right? That, that really had no. It had no real significance. No oomph to it. You know what I mean? It, it's just, yeah. it is just an empty thing that you can do. And that's not how scripture speaks of it. And that's not, 
at all how Christ himself commanded us and spoke spoke to us about it. And Not at all. So I personally think that is that is wrong. It was probably like you said, I think it's as as wrong on the, on the opposite end of the spectrum as the Catholic Church is. Uh-huh. Um but the the other view is uh the reformed view which i believe is shared by reformed baptists and presbyterians presbyterians don't that, have a that, a different That would be view. correct. Yeah. No, they don't they don't differ on that. We differ on baptism, but we don't differ That's on That's pretty Lord's much Supper. the only thing that reformed baptists and and presbyterians differ on is who what who is who, baptism for? Yeah. Yep. So and we love our presbyterian friends. We do. It's true. Some may doubt it, but it's true. We do. I love R.C. Sproul. Yeah, me too. Reformed Yoda, bro. Yes. But, um, so... I have the uh, 1689 out, and chapter 30 is on the Lord's Supper. Uh, Go for it. It has eight paragraphs. I don't know if you want me to read the entire thing, but... Do it, bro. Do it. You want me to read the whole thing? Well, I'm uh, I'm pulling it up here. I can just I can just uh, pick up where you leave off. All right. Just stop me when you want me to stop. Otherwise, I'm gonna <laughs> the spirit spirit will get a hold of me, and I'll the just spirit's keep gonna carry you along yeah. in the glow ray. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, starting in paragraph one uh, of the 1689 chapter 30. The supper of the Lord Jesus was instituted by him the same night wherein he was betrayed to be observed in his churches unto the end of the world for the perpetual remembrance and showing to all the world the sacrifice of himself in his death, confirmation of the faith of believers and all the benefits thereof, their spiritual nourishment and growth in him, their further engagement in and to all duties which they owe to him and to be a bond and pledge of their communion with him and with each other. In this ordinance, Christ is not offered up to his father, nor any real sacrifice made at all for remission of sin for the quick or dead, but only a memorial of that one offering up of himself by himself upon the cross once for all and a spiritual oblation of all possible praise unto God for the same. So that the popish sacrifice of the mass, as they call it, is most abominable, injurious to Christ's own sacrifice, the alone propitiation for all the sins of the elect. Yeah. Par- okay. So paragraph two is a really key uh, explanation of what of what right. we're talking about. Uh, but he does say um, it says in here. Were you, okay. So you said that it, it's it's made not for the remission of sin of the quick or dead, but only a memorial of that one offering of himself by himself upon the cross once for all. And right. so I know the Zwinglian view is sometimes called the memorial view, but but his language, his use of language here, isn't to say that we have the memorial view. It's only to say Jesus was sacrificed once, and we're not doing it again. And me- memorial here would just be, in remembrance of that time, right. we continued to to do this ordinance. Right. So, uh, for anybody that may that may uh, go and read later about the different views of the Lord's Supper, 
even though it says memorial, we're not Zwinglian memorial view people here. Right. Heck Sorry, no, we aren't. Can, heck no. Heno. All right. You, uh, you, you can go on to paragraph three. Okay. The Lord Jesus hath, in his ordinance, appointed his ministers to pray and bless the elements of bread and wine, and thereby to set them apart from a common to a holy use, and to take and break the bread, to take the cup, and they, communicating also themselves, to give both to the communicants. The denial of the cup to the people, worshipping the elements, the lifting them up, or carrying them about for adoration and reserving them for any pretended religious use, are all contrary to the nature of this ordinance and to the institution of Christ. <laughs> I I love I love the 1689, and yeah. I love that that this confession covers uh, a huge controversy at the time in the denial of the cup to the people. Yeah, that was a, that was a big thing. Uh, the the Catholic Church. Uh, would not allow the laity, the congregation, to partake of the wine. That was only for the priests and for the the clergy involved up near the altar. The bread was only distributed to the laity. And also at that time, the the priest, this kind of went along with it, there was a huge disconnect between the congregation and the clergy. Uh, the clergy were usually literate, not always, but they were usually pretty well educated, obviously. And sure. the, the laity was not, there was no teaching, uh, except from the Latin Vulgate. And even during the mass, the, the priest would have his back to the congregation. He would not even face the congregation. He faced the altar, the so his back was always to the congregation, and that didn't really change until was it Vatican one? I think it was Vatican one when they started the first um, Vatican Council. Yeah, yeah. I, I, when, that's and when they, they started using um, common language instead of just Latin Mass. Yeah, or was it Vatican two? I can't even remember. Uh, Vatican two is pretty. I think Vatican two. Yeah, Vatican two really. Yeah. I think that was Pope John the 23rd. Yeah, I think so. If I'm correct. But um so we're totally not about that. Like what's good enough for the pastor is good enough for the congregation. Yeah, cuz frankly that's, the, that's the, why the pastor says, is no different you know, in essence than the congregation is. It's yeah, the he simp- has the same simple, spiritual needs. Yeah, the simple fact is God called him to be in that position of leadership to preach and teach the word. And not everybody well, is called to that position, but he's just a man like you or me. And that's why it said in, at the end of paragraph three, where it says they communicating also themselves to give both to the communicants. Yeah. So, so the pastor is supposed to in the elders, all the elders are supposed to take communion with the people too, in the same way, because we're Absolutely. all, we're all the same in, in the supper is for all yeah. people who, who believe in Christ. Yeah. That's another a great hallmark of the Reformation, is kind of breaking down that dividing wall between um, laity and clergy. Yeah. For sure. All right, you want to do one more, and then I'll read the rest? or 
Yeah, I think I let, uh, start at paragraph 5, I believe. Yep, 5. Uh, the outward elements in this ordinance, duly set apart to the use ordained by Christ, have such relation to him crucified as that truly, although in terms used figuratively, they are sometimes called by the names of the things they represent. In other words, the body and blood of Christ, albeit in substance and nature they still remain truly and only bread and wine as they were before. So... With that, they are denouncing transubstantiation, what I talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, they're... And yes, it's just bread and wine, but that is not where the power comes from. The the, the power of this means of grace, this, this ordinance is focused, it's rooted in the word, and it's rooted in the gospel. And this is... Um, our pastor... Um, preached he's been preaching through the ordinary means of grace a little doctrinal series and when i think what it was either baptism or the lord's supper he was preaching on uh he said that the the ordinances were a visual verbal and visceral explanation of the gospel so so these are tangible right. ways to experience and remember what Christ has done for us. And that's the importance of the Lord's Supper. And I think also this highlights the reason that Baptists use the word ordinance rather than sacrament. Right. Because the, the, as it says here in this chapter, the bread and the wine or bread and grape juice, however your church does it. <laughs> but those are, that's a whole other topic of conversation. Yeah. Um, those elements begin and remain bread and wine. But the the power of this thing is the fact that it's ordained by Christ. Right. So once these things have been, like it says here, set apart to the use ordained by Christ, even though they still remain bread and wine, they are different because by, by, um, by setting apart the time and setting apart these elements for use in worship this way, we are obeying Christ, and by obeying Christ, um, we we partake in in the grace that He gives um, to His obedient people. Absolutely. All right. Paragraph six. Yep. Finish her out. Paragraph six. That doctrine which maintains a change of the substance of bread and wine into the substance of Christ's body and blood commonly called transubstantiation, by consecration of a priest, or by any other way, is repugnant not to Scripture alone, but even to common sense and reason, overthrows the nature of the ordinance, and has been and is the cause of manifold superstitions, yea, of gross idolatries. Yeah, that's, that's pretty that's much a, what... That's a 17th that century was hot a, take. Yeah, that was like the 17th century version of what I was trying to get out earlier when I was talking about <laughs> Eucharistic adoration and all these things that go along with gross believing. idolatry yeah so paragraph seven worthy receivers outwardly partaking of the visible elements in this ordinance do then also inwardly by faith really and indeed yet not carnally and corporally but spiritually receive and feed upon christ crucified and all the benefits of his death the body and blood of Christ being then not corporally or carnally, 
but spiritually present to the faith of believers in that ordinance, as the elements themselves are to their outward senses. I think this paragraph is kind of the heart of the Reformed distinction when yeah. it comes to the Lord's Supper. Yeah. So kind of two things are happening at once. You're one, you're what it would say corporally or carnally eating bread and drinking wine. And at the same time, spiritually, you are feeding on the grace of Christ crucified on your behalf. Yeah. So you're getting spiritual nourishment by feeding upon Christ and the gifts that he gives to us spiritually at the same time that we are eating and drinking bread and wine. Nothing's changed, but, and like I said before, I I think it ties to obedience. You know, we've been told to do this in remembrance of Christ. As we remember Christ in doing this eating of bread and drinking of wine, we receive a spiritual gift, nourishment to our souls, encouragement in the faith, all through Christ crucified. Yeah. And this is a... This also distinguishes us from the Zwinglian point of view, the, the, the memorial idea of the Lord's Supper, because obviously when you read paragraph 7 here, it is not an empty thing. We, you know, we don't yeah, believe that Christ real. is physically present, you know, in the, in the bread and wine, but or grape juice, but it's... It's a spiritual presence. Somehow we're feeding on the grace of Christ. And it's... it's Sometimes it's, the Reformed view is called real presence, which I really like. Yeah. Yeah, I've because heard that it before. Because it is truly... It's real and truly present. Christ, yeah. Christ is really and truly present in the ordinance, but it's not by changing the substance and nature of the elements that he's present. Absolutely. Yeah, he's he's there, and uh, it's just not in the uh, way that most people see it. But all right, ready for paragraph eight? Another hot take. Let's do it. All ignorant and ungodly persons, as they are unfit, <laughs> as they are unfit to enjoy communion with Christ, so are they unworthy of the Lord's table, and cannot, without great sin against Him. While they remain such, partake of these holy mysteries, or be admitted thereunto. Yea, whosoever, whosoever, shall receive unworthily, are guilty of the body and blood of the Lord, eating and drinking judgment to themselves. Hey, yes. So, we fence the table, bro. We fence the table, and some people call this... In a sense, it's closed communion. Um, like at our church, you don't have to be a Reformed you, Baptist to. Yeah, you don't have to, to be a member of our church to. You don't to have take to be communion. a member of our church, but you you do need to be a baptized believer in Christ. Right. And right. Uh, not be live. You know, you have to be ha- have you a have repent- to, you have to be repentant faith in Christ. Uh, uh, an unrepentant, non-unbelieving person should not take communion. Nor I don't know. I don't know why they would want to take communion. Well, I think in, if you grew up in a Zwinglian 
view where there's really nothing real going on. Yeah, you're just like, oh, pish posh, give me the bread. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just it's just bread. So whatever you know, some some churches for a long time use the Lord's Supper as a um, as an as a evangelism tool. Yeah. Like, no, that's the opposite no. of what it's for. Yeah, that it's disobeys not... that what what uh, God taught through Paul. Yeah, and that you that... drink, eat, and drink judgment on yourself if you take the Lord's Supper not in faith. And a lot of people use baptism for that very same thing, and that's not what baptism's for either. Right, right. Baptism happens after you've, you know, become a regenerate person in Christ, after you've come to faith in Christ, and that only comes through the Word. Your Word is your evangelist. The Word is evangelism, not Mm -hmm. the Lord's Supper. These The ordinances are for... The Lord's Supper can't save anybody. It's not meant to. Right. It's it's there it's to for, strengthen. It's for people who are already saved. Because what what benefit is the Lord's Supper to an unsaved person? Because the whole point is that we that the grace that's been conferred on us already in salvation is getting nourished. That salvation is being nourished and replenished through the means of grace. Yes. So when you haven't received grace in the first place, you're still under condemnation by being an enemy of God. What's the sense in partaking participating in a means of grace when you when you don't have any? You live under judgment. Yeah, and I think it's you know that, first... that's why it's it's also incongruous for some folks who practice pedo communion, where yeah. um, I know like this... the federal vision people do that. Yeah, yeah, because I guess they've and I don't know all the ins and outs of that, and I don't think there's any possible way to because it's it's pretty splintery. But uh, basically, the same concepts that are given to um, pedo baptism are then applied to communion also. So that if we baptize our babies, well, then we must give communion to our babies. Because um, if the benefits of Christ's um, salvation are applied at baptism, well, then we might as well treat them as repentant believers and give them communion, right. too. And you know, if it if that was the case, that would make sense. But that's not the case. That's not what Scripture teaches. Yeah. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't contend that that, that would be the case. Not normatively, for sure. But... There's always a there's always a debate because you know we take scripture seriously and you know that you can you can make scripture say what you want it to say or read oh, between yeah. the lines and and get your own message out of it, but you can do that with any text. But um, uh, I th- I think the best case is for uh, is for believers to participate in the or- in the ordinary means of grace. Absolutely. Um, do you have anything else? I don't really. I don't. I think I've, I've lobbed all the uh, hot takes I could possibly lob at yeah. my current energy level. <laughs> <laughs> right now it's, it's 5 till 10 on a, yeah. on, a, on a Wednesday night. I got up at 3.45 this morning for work, so. Yeah, I had an 11-hour an day myself, so I'm pretty tuckered out. But, uh... but I'm, I'm, I would be willing to tell the folks where they can find us. Yeah. Hey, Lee. Yeah, Sean? Where can they find us? (laughs) I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) They can find us on the website, www.guyswithbibles.com. There you can read the blogs that Sean and I slave over uh, laboriously every week, all for you good people. 
actually, all no, you're not good you. people. You're you're all you're all bad people because um, we're all um, you're all totally depraved wretches. All, yeah. So for you Jesus. depraved wretches, we write these these enlightening and hopefully convicting blogs for you. So go read them if you know it's good for you. Um, while you're at the website too, you can also listen to audio of the podcast that's on there. But you can also find us on any podcatcher that you choose. Uh, use your free will to choose a podcatcher. <laughs> uh, then you should go over to social media. Continue to use your free will to go on Facebook and search for Guys with Bibles and ask to be uh, ask to be brought into the group. Um, we'll get you in there, um, and you can join our conversation and post some 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 pretty dank memes uh, and oh, hopefully have have some dankest. more good uh, debates too oh boy as we record this i have prepared i don't know how i had the time to do it but i have prepared a very dank lord's day meme that i intend <laughs> to post on saturday night it is a it is a treasure for the history books <laughs> have i seen it did you send it you, to me yeah, it's the one I sent you today. Oh, okay. I just wanted to make sure it was the same it's, one. Uh, right. It's uh, it's retrofitted. Okay. That's all I'm going to say. It's retrofitted. I enjoyed it. It's a good one. And I'll uh, then enjoy you... it again Saturday night. Yes, you will. You will. You will. Yeah. Uh, then you can also go to Twitter and Instagram, and you can find us there at Guys with Bibles. And then you can also email us, uh, guyswbibles at gmail.com. And I can assure you that those emails go directly to our personal handheld devices. Yes, they do. We've been getting some email. And yeah. I really enjoyed uh, chatting with some folks and um, answering some questions. But do remember, we are not your pastor, nor do we wish to be. Um, yeah. So uh, while we're glad to help out and, and talk about anything, but um, please... Uh, um, stay connected to your local church. Um, yeah. Get to get to know your pastor because he loves you and cares for your soul. Yeah, absolutely. That's you know that, That's that's a good point to make. Um, we love to talk theology, no matter what your point of view is. We we love to discuss that, and not really. I, I'm not like a debating person. Um, I don't really have the patience for that. <laughs> But <laughs> I'll be honest, but you are Irish. So yeah. Oh, an angry one. No, I'm kidding. But we, we love to discuss topics like that doctrines, whatnot. But when it get when it comes to personal things, we will obviously comfort you. Um, and we'll talk to you, but we, we can't help you like your pastor can. You, that's, that's your, what your pastor is called to do. And, don't will... don't deny him the uh, the pleasure and opportunity to yeah, yeah. <laughs> to pastor you and and guide you. So we will help you as much as we can, and we will probably direct you back to your pastor and uh, and if or you send you ha- some good resources. <laughs> yeah, and I was gonna say if you don't have a pastor, you don't have a church. Uh, we have ways of searching or helping you search for a good solid church in your area so we we would be happy to do that as well i i've done that for people before so um, that's a good time yeah but you got anything else lee 
only a request that I do the outro as Batman, if you don't mind. No, do it. <laughs> this has been Guys with Bibles, and we're out! <laughs>